Well, good morning. It's great to see you all this morning. What an honor it is to be here. It's such life in this location this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well this morning. So great to see our kids and youth, isn't it? Full of life and um, the Spirit of God living in us. I'd love uh, this morning to bring a word that I'm calling the gospel-centered life. The gospel-centered life. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd love you to turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to start there this morning. We're going to read about the gospel that Paul talks about, the gospel of Christ. And then we're going to look at applying it into our own lives. Whether you know Jesus yet or whether you've been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years, I believe there's something of the discipled life for you and I to capture through this message this morning. I know that because it's doing a work in me as I currently speak. It's been a work that's been going on in my heart for the whole of my Christian life, but it's a work that's very evident in this season of my life. Christ calling me back to the work of the cross, what he's done for me and the fulfillment of that. I don't know about you, but the Christian life can sometimes have so many facets to it, so many things that we're called to do and be a part of. And uh, certainly over the last number of months, I've been discovering again what it is to come back to the fundamentals that Jesus died upon a cross for me. And out of that, I get to live this incredible life for him, but because of what the cross purchased for me. So I'd love to read from Romans chapter 1. We're going to start at the very first verse of that. It's on screen as well. Then we're going to skip through to a couple of uh, verses a little bit later in the chapter. But this is Romans 1, verse 1 to 7. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. This is uh, Paul's writing. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. That's Jesus. Who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's skip on to verse 14 to 17 now. I am obligated, so this is Paul speaking again, I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So this morning, my uh, title is The Gospel-Centered Life. And I want to draw on this um, exuberance of Paul in saying, I'm going to do nothing but preach the gospel. I'm going to let nothing come out of my heart unless it's the gospel. You know, and um, you and I, there are so many things that come out of us as Christians. Can we pick up something of Paul's dynamism here or dynamic uh, writings that say, I'm going to do nothing yet? the gospel. So what do I mean by the gospel? Well, for any of you who've grown up in church, you'll have heard that word. We sang about the gospel. We speak about it all the time. And of course, for many of us, we know fundamentally that literally means good news. Good news. So the gospel is 
good news. It's good news to you. It's good news to myself. It's good news to the community of Highcombe. It's good news to the nation of the UK in this season, in this moment of time. The gospel is good news. I don't know about you, but if you've got some good news, you want to share it. The gospel is something to be shared. And literally, it means good news. But not only that, Paul reminds us in this passage that it is also the power of God. We've just read in in Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is God's mechanism to see personal and community transformation. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the power of God for salvation. Nothing else will save. It's God, by his good news, that is the power to save. So therefore, do we become people who are carriers of that good news wherever we can? Not only is it the power, but it is something that is growing and fruitful. So it's growing and fruitful. Colossians 1 verse 6 says this, In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Do you realize that you and I are here today because of a growing gospel? We are here today because the gospel is being fruitful, not only when Paul was writing to the church in Rome, but right now. The fruit of the gospel is you and I and our lives that have been transformed by his great and glorious power. So it is growing and fruitful, and it will continue and grow and be fruitful. Every conversation we have with somebody that speaks out the gospel increases the fruitfulness and the growth of the gospel in our lives. Thirdly, within the whole area of power, it is both the doorway and the pathway of our faith. So it's the doorway to meeting and starting a relationship with Jesus. And it's also the pathway for you and I to grow in our relationship with Jesus. So alive, we call it knowing and growing. This sense that it's the gospel that allows us the access to his incredible love. But it's also the gospel that disciples us. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that allows us to grow in every part of who we are. Let me throw a couple of big Christian words in. The gospel is what makes us right with God, otherwise known as justification. And the gospel is what frees us to delight in God, otherwise known as sanctification. So it justifies us and it sanctifies us. We are justified with God and we are sanctified by God by the gospel. Finally, within the gospel moment, when I'm looking at defining the gospel, it's Paul's top priority. Whenever Paul speaks, whenever he leads, whenever he writes, he mentions the gospel. In the book of Corinthians, the letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him, cru- and him crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So we understand the gospel to be good news. But for many of us, if I came around now, you might give a different version of the gospel to another person in here. So let's define what I mean by the gospel in this moment of time as we think about the gospel being central to our lives. 
So when I mention the gospel today, I want you to imagine and think about the life, the death, through crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus into the ground, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and now the position of Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father. All of those are facts. So when we speak of the gospel, today I want you to remember that Jesus lived a life. Jesus suffered the most horrific death, the most horrific punishment through crucifixion. He died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That is the essence of the gospel, the good news. And all of that was done in order that you and I can experience a reconciled life with the Father. In other words, God, who always wanted his children to be reconciled to him, sent his one and only son in order to walk through every step of that gospel message in order that you and I didn't have to, in order that you and I can now be seated in a heavenly place, find our identity in him, be adopted as sons and daughters, live out our life in freedom because of the punishment that Christ suffered. So today, when we talk about the gospel and letting the gospel of Jesus be central to our life, I want you to remember those steps, those actions of Jesus. And I want you today as well to center your thoughts on the death and resurrection of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus. So how can you and I have the death and resurrection as people at the center of all we are. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So let's unpack that second word, central. What do I mean by central? So what does it mean to have the gospel as the center of our lives? So I'm a bit of a visual learner. I love illustrations, and I'm going to do a couple of them in a couple of minutes' time. I find they just really helpful to me. One of the illustrations I think about when I think about centered, the gospel being centered, is the solar system. So if you imagine the solar system as a little diagram of that up there, the sun sits as the central part of the solar system, and all planets, by the gravitational pull of the solar system, are centered to the sun. They navigate or circular around the sun with the gravitational pull of the sun. The sun is central to the solar system. And in our lives, the gospel can take its rightful place, the work of Jesus Christ can take its rightful place in the center of our lives with everything else held together by the gravitational pull of the gospel. But not only that, the gospel sits in the center of everything and everything circles and is held by the gravitational pull of the gospel. So there's one image. I'm going to show you another image. And uh, Katie, and I wonder if Emily, you could help me as well. I haven't primed Emily, but I've primed Katie. Right, so I want you to think in a different way now. So I want you to think about history. And we're going we're gonna to put a timeline up. So Emily, if you could stand one end of that. I want you to imagine for a moment of time that you can't see Katie and Emily. And this timeline stretches from before the beginning of creation. God, is, God has always been, so eternity, and to an eternity in future that we will never see uh, or we can't imagine at this moment of time, beyond all uh, ability for us to see. So from beginning to end, a timeline of um, history and future. And I want you to imagine that the gospel itself sits in the very center 
of everything. Sits in the very centre. Now put the Bible on this for a moment. So on Emily's side over here, think about the Old Testament. So the Old Testament of the Bible, the narrative of the Old Testament pushes everything towards the work of Jesus Christ. Everything, when you read the Old Testament, when you read it, read it in the lens and the light of the gospel. Everything can be read and understood through the actions of Jesus Christ. Everything pushes towards the gospel. In fact, everything before the good news of Jesus pushes is towards the gospel, and the gospel is central to it. Now think about the New Testament and everything that happens after the work and the actions of Jesus upon the cross. Everything stems from the gospel. So everything moves forward. You and I are here, sat here today, listening to this message solely because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's because of what happened through his glorious work upon the cross. So the gospel becomes central to everything. And when we begin to read our scriptures or we begin to understand the world around us with the gospel at the center of it, we begin to get a revelation that our lives then can have a new center point to all that we are. So I want you to now imagine this line in a slightly different way. And now I want you to imagine that this line is the gospel. So we've now moved from a timeline line to this line is the gospel. There's a reason I chose red ribbon. It's a wonderfully um, pictorial representation of the blood of Christ running through everything. When I think now about the gospel running through all things, I can now begin to center my life with the gospel running through it. So let's take for a moment, I'll just put the mic down for a second. So let's take for a moment what life would be like if we began to understand that through our relationships, the gospel runs right through the center of it. What a revelation we would begin to live out when we begin to understand that our work and our career has the gospel running all the way through it. What about our aspirations? When together we begin to understand that our hopes and our dreams have the gospel running through the centre of them. This was a big transformation for me when I began to understand that it's because of the gospel and allowing the gospel to run through my finances and allow it to run through all of my earnings, allowing the work of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection, to run through my family. When we begin to understand that the gospel is the centre of it all, what about our preachers want to know about rest running through that when the gospel when we can begin to understand that it's the work it's the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross his death and resurrection that allows all of these things to be held together and the gospel can run central to it all begins to change everything we don't leave our lead our lives any further or any longer compartmentalized you know god can't deal with this bit of my life my aspirations i'll deal with those no, his gospel runs all the way through. And in fact, that's a great one because it's only because of the gospel that we have the hope anyway. So thank you, ladies. Amazing. Thank you so much. Wonderful. So to have a life that is centered on the gospel, when we begin to get a revelation or begin to live in that revelation, we can begin to come people who are centered on the gospel. But of course, there are always things in our heart because we're sinful people that will um, stop us 
or want to work against us living and leading out this kind of life. So the next little bit is a bit of a discipleship uh, moment, really. It's a bit of a conversation between us, and it's some stuff that I'm working through and growing in and beginning to discover. So one of the things is, how do I position my life? How do I begin to think where the cross is central to everything? Where I begin to celebrate in every moment of life the work and activity of the cross? Well, if we think once again, back to the timeline. So me now, in my timeline of life, there was a moment of time where I made a decision. I had to make a decision. I was confronted by the power and work of the cross. I know for many of you in this room, you've made the same decision. In, in Christian circles, we call that a conversion moment. We call it a, a moment of time where we move from living our own lives to living a life that is submitted to the gospel, submitted to the good news of Jesus. And that we call conversion. There's a little diagram I'm going to put up. And at that moment of conversion, there's a couple of revelations that happen in us. This is a bit of a, a synopsis of those revelations, but there's a couple of things that take place in our lives. The first is this, that we become aware of how holy God is. We become aware that God is set apart. He isn't like us. He is holy. And we also become aware of actually that we aren't God. We're sinful people. We fall short. We miss the mark. Things happen in our lives and have happened in our lives that we know that we are carrying at the root of who we are a brokenness or a sinful nature. And at the point of conversion, we have a snapshot, a beginning point of revelation. But what happens as we move through the discipled life of coming to know Jesus more and more Actually, the gulf between those two things should, for every one of us as a disciple, grow bigger and bigger. We should begin to realize that God is far holier than we ever thought he was. He's far more set apart than we could have ever imagined at that initial point of conversion. He's far greater and far bigger and far grander. Our songs couldn't sum it up. Our words couldn't sum it up. Our lives can't sum up how great and glorious he is. We should, as a disciple, be growing in that revelation. But we should also, as a big disciple, be growing in the revelation that our sinful nature isn't solely our top-level behavior, but actually there's some things in us that go deeper, that actually our sinful nature stems from our very brokenness. It stems right from the fall. So as we grow, the gulf between the two gets bigger. But let's have a little look at the next diagram. You see, the gulf between the two is bridged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is where then leads us to a greater revelation of worship. It leads us to a greater revelation of relationship with Jesus. When we begin to understand that the cross doesn't get bigger, but our understanding of the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ gets bigger because we understand that he's holier. And he, we understand that we are more sinful than we ever thought we were. Our depth of sin goes way deeper than just our surface level behaviors. And we begin to understand then, as a disciple of Christ, that the cross met it all. And the cross holds it all. And we become more thankful. And we become more grateful. We become more worshipful at the core of who we are. And that is the walk of a disciple. But if you're anything like me, my life doesn't look like that most of the time. My life looks in a couple of ways like I try and minimize or shrink the work of the cross. Because I can't 
deal with the depth of my sin or I can't deal with how holy God is. When I begin to look at him, I want to try and box him in. I want to try and understand him. I want to try and get a greater glimpse of who he is. Or when I look at myself, I want to pretend that actually I'm not as bad as that. I'm actually better than I am. Let's just throw the next um, one up. So one thing we tend to do often, and I know that this is very evident in my own heart, and this is where God's doing a work in me, is one thing we tend to do around dealing with our own sin is we, we start pretending. We start living a life to ourselves of pretending I'm better than what I actually see. We use little phrases, things like this, I'm not really that bad. You know, I'm not saying necessary to one another, but actually in our own heads we talk that. Or maybe I'm not as bad as the other people. You know, we start to live out a comparison mindset. Maybe we start making excuses. I've always been this way. Nothing can sort me out. I was born that way. You know, maybe false righteousness. Look at all the good things I've done. You know, we start to pretend. But the actions of our pretending is that we actually begin in our own mindset to begin to minimize or shrink the power of the gospel in our lives. But let's have a little look at the next one as well. Because this is another thing that I notice in my own heart and my own life that happens when I can't handle how holy God is. When I begin to want to box him in and begin to control God in my life, begin to put him into that compartmentalized way of thinking, and I start to perform. I start to make God's righteousness about my righteousness. How can I achieve righteousness, etc.? Performing minimizes God's holiness by reducing his standard to something we can meet. And I begin to shrink the cross in my own heart and my own life. And I've noticed those two traits. My performing often looks like this. Looks like a platform. Looks like a thing where I stand in front of people and I put on my Sunday game face and I make it all happen. Often that's my performing. My performing then leaks into when people come and say, that was great this morning, well done, Howard. I start to build an identity around it. Or I start to build some righteousness around it. But mine's quite visible. But part of the human heart is we all do these sort of things. Our, our platforms may not be stages on a Sunday morning. Our platforms may be our workplace. Our platforms may be our family life. Our platforms may be the areas of around maybe finance or relationships or areas where we become or we think we're more righteous. We will try and make ourselves more righteous. And these are areas that I know I'm discovering in my own heart that I want to allow God to do a work in in order that I can begin to experience his divine holiness the depth of his holiness, but also begin to live from a place of realism before him in the depth of my sin, knowing that the gospel of Jesus Christ covers it all and bridges the gap between it all. But the beauty of the gospel is that there are two wonderful grace gifts to you and I that actually allow us to move from a place of performing and pretending to allow us to move to a place where the gospel becomes the rightful place in our lives. And these two things are grace gifts to you and I. The first is, again, a bit of a theological term. The first is what we call passive righteousness. Passive righteousness. The second one is adoption. The second one is adoption. Let's just unpack passive righteousness for a moment. So passive righteousness overcomes our performance. So if in those areas we're trying to minimize God's power in our lives or his holiness, by making him something attainable, we can be saved from that by his passive righteousness. This is what passive righteousness means. 
is the truth that God has not only forgiven our sins, but credited to us Jesus' positive righteousness. In other words, that it is Jesus' righteousness that makes you and I righteous. You and I are seen by our Father in heaven as righteous because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to hit an attainment. We no longer have to make the grade. We no longer have to get an A or an A star in the eyes of God. God has seen us as those who are righteous through the cross of Christ. You and I can begin to rest knowing that God calls us righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that begins by the grace of God to counter our performance mentality. It begins to change and shape all that I have to make this happen. I have to do this stuff in order to earn God's favor. It's so evident in my heart, but grace of God, that gift of passive righteousness is so much bigger that it begins to change. So how do we um, activate that? Well, we activate it by faith. We activate it by faith. Both gifts, the passive righteousness and the adoption gift, are activated by faith. We have to begin to believe it. One of the things I'm learning is I have to, believe, I have to begin to confess it. So I begin to speak scripture over my life, begin to speak the truth of God. Whenever I'm beginning to perform, I begin to repent, say sorry for it, notice it, and then begin to speak the truth of God, which activates faith, which changes mindsets. Begins to, um, begins to transform me by the renewing of my mind. The second one is this, adoption. So the second grace gift to our life to overcome our performing and our pretending is adoption. I know that you've heard this. I know we preach it across the life. So many things because our identity is often the area of challenge in our own lives. Where are we forming our identity? And the pretending part is all about forming an identity. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm going to pretend that I'm not as bad as I really am, because that will make me people like me more. But worse than that, that will make Jesus like me more. Um, and of course, the beauty is that you and I are adopted as sons and daughters. That can't be changed. We are adopted by as sons and daughters of God. That is how He sees us through the work of the gospel. He sees you as righteous. And he sees us as sons and daughters. Again, how do we activate that? Well, we activate it by faith. By faith, we cling to the gospel promise that we're adopted as God's children. And that's a battle. That's a fight often in the mind daily to wake and remind ourselves that we're children of God, adopted by him. And by faith, we claim it. We begin to profess it or confess it. We begin to read scripture over our lives. We begin to change the narrative of what our own heads are telling us to begin to step into the truth that we're adopted. So we begin to repent and believe. And the beauty of having the gospel at the center of who we are is that it transforms us, but it transforms us for purpose. Now, the gospel starts at conversion. It starts at a decision moment. I mean, it's running all the time, but it's for us to kind of uh, attach ourselves to the, wor the word of God, the, the truth of God, that his good news message is for me. It starts there. But it grows in our hearts through discipleship. It's growing daily. We are growing and allowing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to outwork and grow in us. But it always leads to something. And this morning I want to say that it leads to us being missional. It leads to us being missional. You know, if I get given a gift 
and it's a good news gift to me. I want to share that gift with others. You know, uh, my son's 16th birthday yesterday, he um, got a number of gifts. And the first thing he wants to do is open them and then tell us about them. He wants to share that moment of time. It's not a solitary moment. It's something that we want to do as a family and be communal around that moment of time. And how much more so is the grace gift of God called the gospel, that you and I get the privilege and honor of sharing that wherever God has placed us. So often we finish messages across the live with a, come on, let's go and be the transformational power that God has placed within us in our, lo- in our local communities. One of the dangers of those kind of messages is that we receive them from a, um, an action-based or a work-based understanding. So I've got to go and do something, and we go back to that model where we've actually got to perform now to earn God's righteousness, whereas the gospel begins to change all of that. We begin to have the gospel at the center of who we are. We begin to understand that our mission isn't something we have to do in order to earn God's favor or look good in the eyes of Dan and Joe, for example. But our mission is because of the overflow of the gospel at work in our own hearts. In other words, we can't help but be missional because of the overflow of the gospel. You see, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he didn't come solely to transform your own heart. He came in order that you would be transformed, in order that others would become transformed. And ultimately, in order that this city, this region, this nation, this world would be transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And of course, we know this stuff. We are the hands and feet of that. But I just want to unpack a little bit of that little niggle that often sits in my head. Oh, I've got to go and do this now. I've got to make this happen. Whereas actually, there's a wonderful overflow of the gospel when we begin to have the gospel at the center of who we are, that it naturally leads us to a place of mission. And I wonder what that looks like. Well, first, it looks like it not becoming a duty, but an overflow. Maybe it looks like this, showing hospitality to our neighbors. Maybe it looks like being quick to forgive. That's what Jesus did upon the cross. The greatest act of forgiveness for you and I. And therefore, we have the wonderful privilege as gospel carriers to be those who forgive. Maybe we carry a ministry of reconciliation. Our world needs reconciliation, doesn't it? (laughs) The UK at the moment needs reconciliation. What if gospel carriers, with the gospel at the center of it, have a ministry of reconciliation? What if we pray for and engage with our colleagues around the Christian faith? What does that look like if the gospel's running through our work? Nothing's too small to serve our colleagues. What if it means sharing the gospel with a family member? What if it means serving someone in poverty or giving generously? The gospel, when it runs through it, actually spurs us and triggers into so many areas of life where the gospel overflows from us. So today, the gospel begins at a moment of time in every one of our lives for each of us, becomes the truth that we now live our lives from. It develops and grows through discipleship, and it develops and grows, I think, in two key areas. One is the area of our understanding the holiness of God and being developed and seeing more of his holiness. And one, being able to be real about the depth of our sin in our lives. So no longer pretending, no longer performing, but allowing the righteousness of God to be received as our righteousness and allowing the adoption of God to be received as our adopted sons and daughters' identity. And then it leads us to a place 
where we live out. It's the spur. It's the um, dynamic power behind all that we do is the overflow of our lives become gospel-centric, missional people wherever God has placed us. I'd love to conclude this morning by two prayers. The first prayer is a prayer we pray every single Sunday, every gathering point at Alive. We do it because we want to give every person the opportunity to start this moment of time of receiving the good news message, receiving the gospel. And it's a really simple process. Basically, we just say, God, I've got this wrong, and I want to receive your love for me into my life. And we do this through a prayer. We're all going to say the prayer. And then at the end of the prayer, I'm going to ask people just to bow their heads in here. And if you want to receive this good news message today, the message that Jesus Christ died for your sins, the message that Jesus Christ defeated the power of our sin and rose again and is now Lord over all, and you want to receive him as Lord of your life today, I'd love you to raise your hand as people bow their heads because we'd love to bring a book to you and we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to help you with that decision this morning. So we'll put the prayer up on the screen. Let all of us read the prayer together. Then at the end of this, I'd love us to bow our heads and then we'll uh, ask anyone who's praying this for the very first time to raise their hand. And as you do, we'll love to bring a gift to you and help you with that decision this morning. Let's read this together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and I've messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Is there anyone here today who wants to respond to this gospel and wants to raise their hand and indicate to me that this is the first time you've prayed that prayer and you'd love to receive a gift this morning and someone to chat with you? Is there anyone who's prayed the prayer for the first time this morning? Would you raise your hand for us? Wonderful. Thank you. If we can get a gift to this lady here, that'd be great. Thank you so much. There's another lady over here as well. There's two people this morning that have prayed the prayer for the very first time. That's so good. So good. Wonderful. It's great. It's great. Fantastic. Some of my friends here would just want to connect with you. I bring a little gift to you this morning of a book that helps explain uh, that decision. And, uh, and then we'd love to get to know you and walk with you in the coming days, uh, months, just to help you grow in this gospel message. Allow that to grow in your life. But I also want to pray, and maybe we can keep our heads bowed in this place uh, just for a moment. I believe there's possibly two groups of people here that this message has maybe hit home to. The first group is when you saw that pretending and performing, it triggered something in you of thinking, ah, yeah, I, I do that. There's bits in my life where I know I pretend and I know I perform. I'd love to pray for you this morning. And the second group is the group, like I mentioned, you hear a message where you think, I've got to go out and do something. And in your head, it triggers the oh, fear or slight conflict of how am I going to do that and make that happen? And I just want to rele release a prayer over you this morning of the prayer of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life that allows the gospel to be the propellant behind you. So you don't have to make it happen, but God just says, allow the gospel to be centered to who you are and it will overflow wherever you have, uh, wherever you are. 
So I'd love to pray for those two groups of people. You don't have to indicate to me at all, but if uh, you find yourself in that, those, either of those groups, receive by prayer. You know, just say to God, God, I, would, I just want to allow your gospel to speak into those two areas. So, Lord, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here today. I thank you for who they are in you. I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful truth that you see us as righteous and you see us as adopted sons and daughters. I thank you, Lord, and I pray that this week we'll have a greater revelation of those two character natures for us, those two things that you purchased upon the cross for each of us. I pray, Lord, that that will grow in our hearts this week. I pray, Lord, that it will stop us or begin to minister into those areas where we've been performing or pretending. I pray, Lord, that we'll begin to understand that you're the Holy One and we want to allow the gospel of Christ to bridge the gap between the depth of our sin and the greatness of your holiness. I pray for each person here who's identified in those areas and I pray by the work of the Spirit in their hearts this week that things will change, things will be transformed, allowing the gospel to transform them. And I pray also for those today who, like me, God, sometimes hear a message of get out there and do the stuff and get a little bit crippled around it, don't quite know what to do next. I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, once again, there'll be a revelation today that as we live as gospel-centric people, that no longer do we have to make it happen, but there'll be just be a wonderful natural overflow of the goodness and the good news of Jesus that comes out of us wherever he has placed us. I pray for anyone who's in fear of sharing their testimony or sharing their good news story. I pray, Lord, today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll transform that. Give them courage and boldness that wherever you've placed them to be good news carriers. And I thank you so, good, so much, God, for these incredible people. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be empowered to live the gospel-centric life as you go from this place. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, um, church. It's been an honor to be with you.